0: Yo. Welcome to another episode of the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. My name is Javier, and I'm joined by my lovely, amazing, talented, and prolific co-hosts. What are you guys' names? Tell them. Just tell them. who. Kick it.
1: Yo.
2: Yeah. Yo. I'm Jason.
0: Greg and also jason
2: i i he, you weren't on mute i heard you were typing morse code are you okay <laughs> I, I heard like <laughs> sos <laughs> anyone listening that knows morse could code? could you hear me writing
1: i was actually yeah.
0: writing down there's ghosts in the woods of montville nice you were writing that on paper yes nice that's awesome <laughs> we're into it we yeah. will get to that later well are you, are you gonna well, um, put it on screen with some gorilla hands <laughs> um, so jason that's a
2: great lead-in yeah what record, what record are we talking about today
1: this week we're talking revelation records number 30 mike judge and old smoke sites lp
0: the big 3-0 um this is a really interesting record that i don't want to say it's polarizing but it's often overlooked perhaps in the rev catalog i think when some people heard it maybe they had some Opinions about it and we'll, you know, we'll discuss all that. Um, but before we get in too deep into this record, I think it's already time to. Yo,
2: I, I'm going to be like Javier there. Yeah, yo, with the yo. No. So okay. um, bid it bow to uh, we have two sponsors for this episode. Um, first, End Hits Records, our, our friend Oizy. Uh, and, and hits taken um, from the Fugazi album. Yes, I think okay. so.
1: Yeah,
2: right. Uzi? I, I you'll have so. to report back, but I'm I'm gonna yeah. say I'm like 99.9% sure that would be like a weird coincidence because yeah, he loves okay. that record. Mm-hmm. I know that much. Yeah. But um, so several episodes back, we mentioned that uh, they were working on a reissue of Downset's "Check Your People" album that was a, originally from the year 2000 which is crazy to think that was 21 years ago now. Um, and uh, it was on Epitaph. And they're doing a reissue. It's got new artwork, some really cool colors. And the first pressing sold out, like, by the time our episode came out. Like, he told me about it. We did it. It's gone. People want this record. And uh, so there's a second pressing. You're, you'll be hearing this on a Wednesday. Or if you're one of our lucky patrons, you'll be hearing it Tuesday. At which point Tuesday, uh, which is May the 11th, the pre-order for the second press goes up. And uh, I don't know if it goes as fast as the first one. Hopefully by the time you hear this, there's still some left. But uh, check out endhitsrecords.com. In the U.S., you can get the End Hits releases from the Deathwish website, deathwishinc.com. Um, And also they're selling rare Better Than a Thousand and Shelter colors um, of the represses. They did the Better Than a Thousand, like the discography and then the two LPs separate. Um, So I think it's the two LPs have special colors. And then uh, the Shelter When 20 Summers Pass that we've talked about, there's some new, I think,
0: some rare colors that were originally intended for uh, tours. Who did... Who did the better than a thousand cassettes? That's what I really want to know. Because there's two of them, right? There's I've seen them. There's like a red cover and a blue cover, maybe. Um, I've seen them in web stores before. So if you did those, holler at me. Was it end hits? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I have no idea. I think think Rev actually did
1: the the red cover tape, just one. I think there's actually. I'm going to Google it while you
0: guys consider. But the last thing I have to say about this if you missed out on any of these presses of downset or shelter, what do I always say about buying stuff? The Words time to buy it. The time to buy it is when you see it, because it it's gonna. It, it, things go so quick these days. They do, yeah. and like I, um,
2: I, I've taken that mantra to heart, much to the detriment of you know my poor postal worker and stuff. <laughs> but it's true. Like you know, a, a lot of these limited things come up. And you know, obviously, when it's something like, "Hey, it's a two-week pre-order," you have time to maybe think about it. If it's something, "Hey, we're gonna print as many made," yeah. But if it's just like a pre, like you gotta, you gotta do it. You can't be wishy washy.
1: What'll happen to me is sometimes it'll be a two-week pre-order, and then I forget to order it, and then I miss <laughs> it. So the time to buy it is when you see it. That's Where's
2: right. Yeah. Yep. And uh, so, so yeah, bit of bow to Oisi and end uh, hits records and. We can tell you there's some cool stuff coming down the
1: pipe.
2: The pipe. The, <laughs> the pipeline. <laughs> the pipeline. <laughs> there's some cool stuff coming uh, from end hits that we are stoked to be able to eventually tell you about that will definitely be relevant to uh, listeners of this pod. So um, on to our next sponsor. You guys tired at all?
0: Oh, man, I really could use a nice cup of joe right now. I could always drink more coffee, yeah.
2: You are in luck. This this episode's sponsor is uh, Essex Coffee. Now, Essex Coffee uh, is a uh, company founded by uh, Aaron Dahlbeck. That name might sound familiar to you. Mm, I've heard of uh, it. Aaron. Yeah, Aaron's an old friend of mine. Um, he played guitar in Converge Mm -hmm. on, you know, everything up to, uh, Jane Doe, Mm -hmm. up to and including Jane Doe. Mm Uh, and for me, he was in one of the biggest bands of my life. As far as hardcore Bane, Mm -hmm. I became friendly with him because we, my bands have played with Bane and Mm -hmm. I've seen Bane a bunch and now he is in the band. Be well, was he also in the hope conspiracy? I don't think so. No, mm. I, I, I'm not too familiar, but he has this company called um, Essex Coffee. So um, Essex Coffee, they use um, and I've I've had it. Hell-Minded Records are our, our friends and previous sponsor. They had a brew, and I had some beans sent to me, and uh, they're it's excellent. And um, they use only responsibly sourced beans, mm-hmm. uh, specialty grade.
0: Um, so I actually ordered a bag of the be well beans when I ordered the be well cassette. And I'm look, I don't want to call myself a coffee snob, but I drink a lot of coffee. I drink coffee every day. I seek out nice coffees. And I got to say that be well blend was a great bag of coffee. I brewed it in the Chemex. I brewed it in the French press. I really enjoyed it. So I got to say, big bit of bow to Essex Coffee. And on their website, they do have a lot of... Well, What is their website, Hop? Huh? It's EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. And if you click on shop, currently, as, uh, as we're recording this, they have a collaboration with Killswitch Engage, um, which is cool. I love it when coffee companies do band collaborations they also have a collaboration with another friend of the pod hell-minded they have a nice yes. espresso blend which i don't have an espresso machine at home i leave that to the pros um it's good I, that, that's what i got that was my first uh actual
2: getting uh essex coffee and uh it is delightful
0: mm-hmm. uh, they and they also good riddance right with good uh, not currently on the shop Um, but they do have tea, which is also nice. You know, most people just focus on coffee, but like right now my wife is off coffee and she's like this morning, she's like, I want something warm to drink. And I'm like, make yourself a cup of tea, you know? And so it's nice that they have that selection. And they also do a coffee subscription, which is really cool. cool. Um, it's one bag per month. And if you subscribe, you save like a little bit of money, so I actually I'm thinking about clicking that right now. We'll see how that goes. Yeah,
2: well, I re- it's funny because I remember when you got the Be Well Coffee before mm-hmm. even this one, you were like, "Oh yeah, it's really good." That mm-hmm. you were telling us how good it was. So real quick with with mm-hmm. Essex, you know, we talked about responsibly sourced beans. You're like, well, some people may be, like, what does that mean? It just means uh, their importers work directly with the farmers to ensure they're paid a, a, a good wage. And uh, so that they're able to grow their business because unfortunately a lot of, you know, these coffees mass produced, they, they don't take that into consideration. They're not ethically sourced. Yeah. Um, they roast all their beans to order. So they're not sitting around and waiting. They're, they're roasted to order. Um, and they do have a rotating selection. As Hav said, stuff kind of comes in and out. That's why you can get the uh, prescription. (laughs) I need a prescription. I need seriously Um, you can get the subscription and then you're getting, you know, different kinds. Um, but there's, you know, standards always there. And like Hav said, they have the T. And if you want to save some money, you can actually enter in the code where it went and you can get 10% off of your total purchase.
0: That's nice. Uh and also they donate five percent of all their profits to local charities. Yes, um, I forgot which to mention is, that as well. So it's – man, like that's just kind of a win-win-win. Uh, I really highly yeah. suggest everyone going to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com and picking up a bag or a shirt or – Yeah, you know, they do something. collaborations often, like
2: you said, with bands. I just – I have a thing, and I know you guys do too. I love supporting people from the hardcore punk world. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, I was going to say that. have other adventures. Um So – I'm all in. And um
0: you should be too. You listening, that is. I know you guys are in. Um yeah. I just looked on the endhitsrecords.com website. They definitely did just one and value driven on cassettes. Oh okay. and also there's a bundle that comes with a poster and a fanzine. The fanzine's and, really cool. The better. And the uh so I think I might order that. I gotta tell you guys. I haven't heard much of better than a thousand. I'm not you're gonna super need to like, anyway. really I, I know yeah, I'm not super familiar with their stuff. I think not to get too into the weeds here, but that came out what year did it come out ninety seven so the just One was ninety seven and then value driven was the next year. I, I remember it came
2: uh, out like six months later,
0: so that's when I was deep in like disembodied overcast bloodlet like i I took after ignite started to kind of you know go off i really took a turn towards the dark metalcore scene and so here in southern california eh, as as our friend bedge might uh concur you kind of picked a lane you know you kind of picked the like posi core youth crew or you picked the uh, Metalcore, and there wasn't mm-hmm. a whole lot of crossover. But so different now, isn't it? So different because I now. feel
2: like now it's like the people. All that, lanes are open. Yeah, well,
0: which you got to look at a guy named uh, a guy like Flint Flint Beard, right? He sings for Life Force, which sounds like fucking Course of Disapproval, but then he also sings for Vanguard, which is one of the gnarliest like vegan straight edge bands in the world right now. That sounds like. You know, fucking very heavy. Yeah. yeah heavy. Like, that you, wouldn't
2: have that wouldn't like people don't like that would have been like I don't even know. Weird. Like, it would just would have like, been that weird, would have been like Tim that. McMahon singing for mouthpiece and then singing for like Earth Crisis. Earth Crisis yes, you know. Absolutely. And, <laughs> yeah. and like that's you know, and Tim we all know I c I can't picture Tim singing for Earth Crisis. I would I would pay to see but Tim I would pay to absolutely <laughs> I would pay
0: good money to see Tim McMahon do Earth Crisis karaoke. Dude, Tim, I know you're listening. Let's
2: make it happen. Tim, seriously. You know what? We should just Tim, learn how to play Earth
0: Crisis songs and then just there have was, Tim sing. There was a show here Tim, at Chain do Reaction one time <laughs> called Bringing It Back. And it was a backing band that was like uh, Friends of the Pod, Vadim, Scott Sprigg, Greg Bacon, And someone else and they learned a bunch of songs like refused earth crisis integrity and hate breed and they had different people come up and sing and that's uh, cool it was really fun i think i think i might have sang an integrity song on stage i can't really remember okay um ray harkins did i believe he did firestorm which was really strange so i mean a lot of Anyway, what I'm saying is like X karaoke X could happen. Weirder things will, will start yeah. happening when we get, start getting back to gigs in the future. Don't See, Tim, listen to Jason. Get ready. yeah, Tim, I want to do say it. it.
2: <laughs> and, and by the way, you know, it's talking about picking a lane. Like I loved earth crisis at the same time. I loved floor punch. Sure. And hands tied and everything. Yeah. But even then, like there was a few things in the other lane that I, could, I like could have side eye on like integrity was another one I liked, um, and Snap Case I, I, I love Snapcase. I love Case I love I'm a huge
0: Mouthpiece fan I love well we I know. Celebrate we all their, are all three yeah, of them yeah. celebrate their entire catalog so
2: see you you had the yeah. same thing you you had yeah. a, there was a little bit but for the most part I was all in on the what do they call it the '97 era yeah like floor punch in my eyes ten yard fight hands tied. Fast break. Um, yeah, which hands tied, I think, were one of the most underrated of that era. That's seven inches fucking
1: that's sick. seven inches killer. So anyway, we All don't right. need to yeah, we yeah, don't what really is,
0: need to we, we're going off the rails here. Yeah, let's uh we could, you know, we might have to do a separate podcast where we just talk about hardcore. <laughs> like regu- regular hardcore. You know what I mean? That's okay, Just to get the- out of our system. Maybe a bonus episode. We should do
2: a ninety-seven 97- you know, at one eighty-five miles south, did the one the ninety-seven era?
0: Yeah. We should like well, maybe, let's call up uh, Zach and Beg. Yeah. We've and, we've and thr- we've we do- we mentioned this every time. We need to really do it. Yeah, let's do it. All right, All uh, right. let's also get into this episode, Mike Judge and Old Smoke. Kick it.
1: yes
3: I know that's when my mind was made up that I was done I don't know if we did one more or not can't remember but I know when we pulled out of Tampa I was done
1: do you think that oh sorry no kick it Jason oh I was just going to say do you think that's where this record started
3: no not really okay I mean, most of this, especially that record, um, I wish he was alive. He was my best friend, Todd, who was the judge roadie at the time back then. Um, Once I got back home and I told everybody, you know, "I'm, I'm not doing judge anymore. I'm done. It was that last part of the tour was too much for me. And uh, there really wasn't much talk after that. And so I was just home. And I mean, within a week, I was like, I really missed, you know, I didn't miss playing in a band, but I missed being in the band with my friends and, you know, all that stuff. And uh, so then one day out of the blue, you know, I'm sitting in my room and I hear a motorcycle. And it's Todd. He had bought a Harley Davidson. He pulled in and he was like, you know, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Let's go for a ride. And uh, that's when me and Todd became like best friends. We, you know, we got on motorcycles. We took off. You know, we wound up in Florida and shit. It was like it was epic. And um, we were like super tight after that. And um, I mean, I was playing acoustic guitar at the time. And I was listening to all that stuff because that's how I was, you know, clearing my head after like judge shows and stuff. And, um, I was also teaching myself to play. And, uh, just like, just like with the beginning of judge, I didn't know how to play any instrument. I just picked up a bass. And instead of learning how to play bass, I just started writing songs, which became the judge record. So with the acoustic guitar, You know, I was teaching myself how to play and um, I was in love with like Neil Young and stuff. And I really wanted to, I really wanted to like write songs that personal, you know, and uh, I was just teaching myself as I was going. And uh, all of a sudden I had these songs and I showed them to Todd and he was like, holy shit. And like uh, after a while behind my back, he was talking to Jordan and he was like, I know what Mike's doing. He's writing music. Are you interested And he Like Todd set this whole thing up. It's like the whole Olsmoke thing is basically Todd's idea. It became a band because, you know, I taught Todd to play guitar because I wanted to be in a band with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's how it all evolved. I just was in love with, I was in love with being in a band. I was in love with being in a band with my friends. I was in love with writing music and I was really in love with the process of recording music. It's just that last judge tour fucking was like I mean it it was a, it just fucked my whole head up. It broke my heart. Fucked my head up. It, I lost faith in a lot of things and I just I just didn't want to play live anymore.
2: Yeah. And was was that the the what I know it's pretty well documented like that last judge tour was you were seeing people basically like using your words, but twisting them and using them to justify it, it was, behavior and stuff. It, and just, I mean, it, it was that,
3: it was that because, you know, I already had, I already knew about that. You know, like I took, I, I was wearing that and that was my burden. I created that monster and I was good with it. But, uh, the same way like Todd became the judge roadie because in those, in the beginning, you know, it was just me facing all these obstacles on, on tour, you know, because, you know, Purcell's Purcell, you know, and then Sammy and Matt are like little kids. So whenever there was schism, it was directed towards me. And I was the only one there and it was, I was worn out. So I remember like coming home and I was talking with uh, this, this dude from town who was like one of the guys who initially introduced me to punk rock and stuff. He was a little bit older and I knew I was getting ready to go on tour again for bringing it down. And um, so I was hanging out with him and he's like, so are you stoked? I'm like, I am, but I'm not, you know, cause I don't, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to relive this only in a bigger, bigger way. Cause it's a longer tour and shit. He's he was like, well, just get somebody to go with you. I was like, who? And uh, he was like, how about that kid from school, Todd? I didn't know Todd. He was a jock. He was like a lacrosse player, surfer lacrosse player. I thought he was a dick. You know, we just did, we didn't cross paths in school. But I was like, that guy's like a, a dick, dude. And he's like, dude, he just got out of the Marines. He's home. He would be good. He can work on the van. He can hold his own. He's not afraid, he'll scrap. And you know, it won't only be you. So I I met Todd at his house, talked for a couple minutes. I was like, hey, we're leaving like next Friday. You Wanna go on tour? He was like, yeah, that's how it all happened. And so on this tour, he became the guy I leaned on. You know, like in a million different ways i mean he wasn't straight edge we butted heads a a million times but he was just he didn't like he didn't cater to me you know like he was like i'm not straight edge fuck you and i was like well no fuck yeah i was like it was one of those relationships and it was great and uh he was like he was a guy i always talked to on tour and shit he understood and um like, I always tell this story, like, to understand the way Todd was to me was, like, that night in Tampa, right? It was just a mess. Everything was a mess. The night before, we got pulled over by cops, the really racist cops. They were spitting tobacco on me. They took all our money. I, it was just, it was a mess. So, we get through that situation, and... I can't even think straight because I'm so fucking heartbroken and I'm so mad at these fucking cops. Just, just want to get to Tampa. Turns out Tampa's a fucking mess with like the, this gang of fucking hammer skins or whatever the fuck they were. And it's a fucking mess. And I totally think I'm going to fucking, this is going to be it. Like, I don't even think I'm coming out of this show. To the point where I call my father and say, you know, please take care of my dog if I don't come back. And he's like, What's going on? I was like, don't worry about it. But if anything happens to me, please take care of my dog. And so I'm in the back room and I'm like fucking freaking out. I'm fucking panicked because there's just so many, you know, I've never just seen this many people against me. And, um, I was fucking panicked and I'm looking for Todd. And they say, Todd's in the van. So I walk through all these fucking guys go in the van and Todd's in there and he's taping up his wrists I was like, what are you doing? He's like, we're going to fucking kill these fucking guys. I was like, dude, there's like 200 of them. And he's like, who cares? Win or lose, this is going to be legendary. And like, I just felt good. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is going to be a story. We're going to be able to fucking tell. <laughs> and uh, that's what Todd was always to me. He was like, he was, he picked me up when I was down. He fucking brought me down when I was two up. He He was my best friend. So I wanted to be in a band with him. And that's how old smoke happened, where he didn't even play. He didn't really know how to play guitar. I told him the basics just so I could, you know, just so we could be in a band together. And, um, he believed in it way more than I did. Like I said, I was in, I was in love with, um, being in a rehearsal room playing songs working out songs and then recording songs i mean the record that came out there's like there's probably like five finished versions of that you know three or four different studios different songs different players the first version of it was me playing everything at don fury's
0: okay um and did then Tom did Tom Capone have anything to do with that session?
3: No, Tom Capone. I sent I sent uh I sent Greg a link, and uh, three of the songs on that link, Tom Capone, was working at a studio that we just happened to run across.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay,
3: but there was like there was this other studio in New Jersey, Jersey called Jersey Sound, which was right down the road from us. We spent hours and hours just goofing around, must have recorded like 20 songs there, all mixed, everything. But just I just never cared enough to, like, put it out. I I just wanted to do that process. And then after that, I didn't care. Everything else I just left to Todd and Todd played on the stuff that eventually came out. And so that's why that version came out. But there are versions where I sang growly, you know, like rah rah rah, you know, like oh wow, you know, trying to mix the the judge
1: stuff with the fuck, you know. It's just like all crazy. Same songs on sites?
3: Um, I think there might, nah.
1: Okay. Some of them, some of them were, some
3: of them not. I mean, I wrote so many songs. So I got one thing I did do after Judge was I bought a four track recorder, and I just fucking recorded everything. I. I got like cassette tapes of four tracks of of songs. I don't even know how many hundreds. Yeah. It's just how I passed time. Cause I didn't, I was so depressed after everything happened that I just didn't leave my house. I just sat in my room and fucking played, wrote everything down. I always wrote shit down because ever since I was like a freshman in high school, I, I uh, coped with every all the fucked up shit that was going in my head. I coped with it by writing it down because I figured if I wrote it down, it wasn't in my head anymore. I convinced myself of that. So my, I got books full of like, you know, just stuff that, um. <laughs> I mean, hopefully we'll never see the light of day.
0: Oh, sorry. What else ahead. were you listening to besides Neil Young that was influencing you, especially some of the more because when you hear the acoustic songs, you can fully hear Neil Young. But some of the more electric songs, you know, it, it has that same feel to it. But I want to know what else was influencing you.
3: Uh, like, it, it, I mean, I listen to like everything, but um, mostly like for that kind of stuff, I listen to a lot of, of course, Neil Young, a lot of Towns Van Zant, a lot of John Prine, uh, even old Hank Williams, just like Jim Croce, Harry Chapin, all that shit, all the storytellers. Like I didn't even, I didn't really know about that kind of stuff. Cause I didn't, I didn't really listen to music growing up. I just listened to radio, but never paid attention. It, the radio was just something to keep me company. I didn't really listen to music until I came down punk rock. And I heard people, you know, spilling their guts in these songs. And I thought, you know, punk rock and hardcore were the only people who did that until I found, you know, guys like Harry Chapin who were actually telling stories and I fell in love with that. And uh, I just love that whole, like all, the, all those old singer songwriters songs from the fucking gut,
0: you know? Yeah. yeah. And some of that stuff you mentioned is going more into the country genre than the like folk genre did you have any, any of the songs that you recorded have like more of a country feel? Did you ever think about putting like slide guitar or anything like there that? There is. And <laughs> the, first,
3: the first thing I recorded was every, me playing everything at Don Fury's. And he was like, he was like all tripped out that I was doing it like that, playing music like that. And so he was like, this song would be great if you play slide guitar on it. And I'd be like, I don't know how to play slide guitar. He's like, I'll teach you how to play slide guitar. It's easy. <laughs> it, it, I'm like, how could that be easy? He's like, dude, we're going to we're gonna tune your guitar open tuned, and you just do this. And uh, so there's there's like a couple songs with slide guitar and shit. Like all this shit I haven't heard in years because it's all on reels in my closet. So, I mean, they're all on like one-inch or two-inch reels, and I have no way of hearing that. This, It's just happened that the, the link that I – got from Todd's wife was these songs that um were actually mixed down to like uh that were recorded on dats and then mixed to adat and uh so Todd had thrown them all up on this SoundCloud, and then there's some stuff that I you know I I re, he had this skate park so I we set up recording equipment in the and I sat in the middle of a big bowl for skateboarding Mm-hmm. And so because it was like really echoey. So there's some like acoustic stuff. And that was all like Todd had it and he threw it up all on SoundCloud, I guess, to save it or whatnot. And then uh, you know, his his ex wife or his first wife was like, um, you know, I I found this Lincoln Todd stuff. Do you want it? And I I listened to it and I was like, Wow, you know, this is like some of that shit's heartbreaking too, like there's like a, a few songs that I recorded with an old friend from town who was like, this really like accomplished guitar player. And, um, his name was Mark Madden and, uh, he's really accomplished guitar player. He's in this old punk rock band from New York called hammer Brain. And, um, we didn't really, we weren't really friends until he came to see us one night and we, we were talking and then he was like, I'd like to record you. I just got this, you know, this 48 track board from Sony. And, um, you know, I'd I'd like to record you. So we record like three songs that are on that link. And, um, he actually played piano on one of them. He'd like, he was like, this is a good song. I think piano fit here. Can I play? And I was like, I always looked up to him because he was such a great guitar player. And I was like, I would, it would be amazing if, if you did that. And it was fucking heartbreaking because you know he was walking with a limp right and he always thought he like he hurt himself until it got to a point where he couldn't take anymore he winds up going to the hospital finds out it's actually bone cancer and it's like after a while he just we're recording and he just comes in he's like i'm going into the hospital and uh i'm probably not going to come out so i'm going to try and finish this so he wound up mixing that those three songs while he was in the hospital. And then, you know, he died a week later. So that's like another thing where I was just like, I don't want to listen to this stuff, you know, cause you know, it was just, I don't know. I don't know if it was a curse, whatever it was.
2: Was this like, um, 93, you'd say like around the time of the, um, this album uh, or was it after before? It, I th-
3: It was probably a little after I, I have no idea of timelines, especially that period of my life. So So I was just at that point, I was just riding motorcycles and I wasn't paying attention to anything normal people pay attention to at that point.
0: On YouTube, there's uh, says Mike Judge and Old Smoke Rare Demo. Right. And it's four songs and the listing or like the, the blurb says. Two of these songs were demo tracks for an upcoming record that Tom Capone was assisting in production. So was two that the same tracks, as the link I sent you? The two you other sent? tracks were recorded it at is. Mark Madden's house, a friend of Mike's who had since passed away. So it's four songs on this, this uh, YouTube video. Um, so, yeah, that's, it's interesting that this whole story is really cool to hear that you just were putting stuff out there. You know, like, and you didn't really have an intention of necessarily making an album or whatever. You just, you had these songs, you had these words, you had these feelings, and you had to get it out into the world. And that's an amazing form of therapy that I think, you know, maybe you weren't even cognizant of the time. Like, this is helping me get through this. It was just like, this is something I need to do.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I knew, I knew knew it was helping me because, mm-hmm. I mean... Music was like, music was the outlet that I always needed. At first it was, I wanted to be a part of this family. I, I, I never, I underestimated how much I needed to get these thoughts out. <laughs> uh, it's kind of weird. But once I started writing the the songs, feelings that i was having were like making more sense to me you know like, like therapy i guess and um at that point i was in love with everything but as soon as this song was done as soon as it was finished recorded then i pulled back i didn't want anything to do with it i just wanted to start over because i didn't want to go through all that again all that stuff I just wanted to do the parts that I loved, which was the process of writing with my
0: friends. So for Sites, did you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to write an album. Now I'm going to put these songs, this is going to be this group of songs, and this is what we're going to do with it. Or did you just make a bunch of stuff and say, like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to now pull all of these different songs together and put it out as an album. Like, did you have a, a clear vision of the project as a whole?
3: No, I had no vision of it at all. Like I said, I record, I, when, when I, I recorded with Don and I thought that was what we we're going to put out. And then I recorded this and I thought that's what we're going to put out. And then I wanted to be in a band with Todd. So we recorded this stuff and. And at that point, Todd was doing the back and forth between me and Jordan. Okay. And, um, I mean, I don't remember all the particulars, but I don't remember sitting there and, like, sequencing or, like, these songs or this and this, these songs or that because I wrote so many songs. It was just, um, like, that, the record that... Is that the record that came out? I can't even remember what came out, but I know like the. At at one point, Todd was working at this place in um, down on Jane, like next to Jane Street, by the old Rock Hotel. He was working in this warehouse, this abatement warehouse, and he was like, "Dude, you gotta." Because I was like really into like equipment and old guitars and all you know all this shit. So he's like, "Come to the city and and hang out. And after work, I'll introduce you to this guy Dennis. He lives behind." He has a studio behind this uh, warehouse I work in. And um, it turns out this dude, Dennis, was like, um, I don't know if you ever heard Richie Havens. So Richie Havens was like the guy who, the first guy that played Woodstock, folk singer. So this studio belonged to Richie Havens. And Dennis was Richie's sound man. He was actually at Woodstock as a kid and stuck with Richie Havens all those years. And now he's like Richie's personal, Sound man. So I go back in the studio and Dennis is like this old hippie, right? And he's like he's like he's laughing at everything and he's like, Look at this. And he shows me like this amp, he's like, That's Jimi Hendrix amp from Electric ladyland And he's like, Look at this. Richie bought this drum in like whatever country, you know, and he's like showing me all this crazy equipment. Look at this Hammond organ with the with the Wurlitzer horn. That's Greg Allman played this at fucking this place. And he's like showing me all the shit. And I'm like, Fucking freaking out Like I can't the history that's in his room is insane and like this drum set was like this this drum set I don't know you you ever listen to Grateful Dead at all (laughs) I mean I have yeah a little bit if you ever seen the drum set like those guys have there's like two drummers in the band and they set they set up side by side so this Richie's drummer his drum set was like that big there were like drums from everywhere I mean it was insane what he had and he was like I was like looking at it all. He's like, just jump on it, play it, man, play it. It's all, because to him, it was all about the jam. You know, so, you know, you jump on something, you start playing, he'd grab an instrument to accompany you. And now like we're playing. All of a sudden, Todd's and A couple of times, Richie Haven himself would come in, start playing and singing. And now there's all these guys who never played to anything. We're just fucking thumping around on these instruments. Wow. And we wound up recording that stuff. That's what came out. I believe that's what came out on that record. Okay. Because I think Dennis played bass on it.
2: Yes. It lists, uh, so it lists um, in the album, it lists you as lead guitar vocals, Todd as rhythm, Dennis Persich as bass and Hammond organ, and then William Gray as drums. Yeah.
3: Yeah, William Gray was me because the drummer fucking, the drummer was a crackhead who wound up losing his job like two days before we're supposed to record and he took off and then the bass player was, was this dude, Riley. And he was another crackhead and uh, he would pawn his bass like every Friday and buy it for drugs. And then he'd buy it every, every Monday. Wow. And uh, so all this was (laughs) going on. I had no idea because I'm living in New Jersey. I'm just showing up at night to fucking play. And uh, then found out and we're like, all right, Dennis, you play bass. I'll play drums. And,
1: just cut wow. these guys out. So William Gray's Dale Nixon.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> so I had a question for you in the liner notes. It says, very special thanks to Don Fury for walking me through this and Dennis Persich for teaching me. If you do it wrong twice, it's going to come out right.
3: Yeah, because we had, a, like I said, there was a drummer there and then he, he bailed because he was had a drug problem. And I had to jump on the drums and I hadn't played drums since Youth of Today. Okay. So now I'm trying to play drums after not playing for you today and I'm playing a slower type of music and I'm just like fucking it up and shit. And he, and he was like, he he was just like, just keep going, just do it wrong again. And it'll sound like it's right. And so that's basically <laughs> what we did.
2: I like that. Yeah. So what did Don Fury think? Like when you went in with him, like, you know, he's used to, you know, Mike judge doing judge. Like, was he, I know you said he, he taught you the slide guitar, like, was he he, was, he loved he was, he, was, he, was, he loved it he he was like getting off on it he was like
3: he was the one who was telling me on that the stuff where i recorded with him he was the one who was like try doing this and try doing that he, he was coming up with all these ideas because i was just that was my first attempt at recording my own stuff and it was very basic and uh so he was the one who was like you know walking me through all sly guitars and leads and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, I just didn't have a, I didn't have an ear for that kind of stuff. You know, in my head, I could, I could hear backups like in hardcore, you know? And he was yeah. like, no dude, it's not, it's not <laughs> happening here. <laughs> and, uh, so he was like walking through everything. And then we thanked him on there because the record that he put so much effort into recording wound up not coming out. And we, so now we're this record is coming out and um so we recorded everything but uh like I didn't really know anything about I knew about recording but not the ins and outs and so when it came time we were like Dennis you have to mix this and it's like oh I can't mix I don't know how to mix we don't have the equipment to mix I was like what do you mean and so I had to call up Don I was like Don can you please mix this record for us so not only did he record a whole record that we didn't use, but he had to mix this thing for us.
2: Mm-hmm. And you got a you got a producer credit on the vinyl as well. Um, I mean that's that's impressive to me. Like I've sang in bands, I've played guitar poorly in bands, and like I can't imagine being able to write like and just when you when people say oh, I wrote tons of like there's you know 10 songs in here but oh, i wrote 50 songs like i can't imagine writing all these songs singing them playing guitar producing i mean that's impressive that an average person can't really do that
3: yeah i mean i don't i was just i think it's just because i love that part of the whole thing even in judge that was like my favorite part was the whole creation point and so having like the chance to do all that stuff for myself was fucking great i mean uh, i think if we waited longer it would have been better because i i had ideas that um i wasn't good enough to pull off for a while but I never actually said, like, I can't wait for people to hear this, you know, because the thought never crossed my mind. Right. Most, of that, yeah. most of that was Todd. He wanted to, like, he was proud of this thing. I was, I just wanted to play. I just wanted to write and play and record. You know, I was just as happy being in a rehearsal room. I was more happy at that point in my life. I was more happy being in a rehearsal room than being in a live setting.
0: Well, speaking of live settings, let's talk about Old Smoke playing gigs. Um, how many live gigs did Old Smoke play? Just a, I mean,
3: like in places where, you know, like in New York and stuff, I think we played the bank a couple of times maybe. But, uh, you know, I was, at that point, I was also part of, like, the biker subculture. So we played a lot of, like, there was this, um, there was this club a couple towns away from me called The Ruins that a friend of ours owned. And so we played there a lot. But it was nothing ever like, you know, flyers and shit like that. It was mostly just set up and play type shit.
2: It's not like you were playing with, like, the other, you know, other rev bands. Right, into another another. or whatever. (laughs) That's what I was thinking of what was going on then, where, you know, one of the things about doing this podcast is going through the actual trajectory of Revelation, you know, starting with Warzone and just going, is we as you know retroactive because i wasn't around you know we weren't around at the very beginning of the label is we've sort of like got to progress almost as if we were there if that makes sense like first it's just you know the basic hardcore and then it gets takes the turn and then you get now we're in the ice burn years and into another and this and this record makes a lot more sense listening to it coming at it this way than maybe it would have for me, like, as a kid, into judge, you know, and then going back, oh, well, the singer had another band. check it out here here's old smoke, but so i I did wonder, like, oh, you know, I could have seen Old Smoke playing a show with you know iceburn uh or whatever with each tr- other
3: yeah truth yeah. truth is I'm learning about this stuff by listening to you guys,
0: mm-hmm.
3: because. When I got out of judge, I turned that whole side off. I didn't even, I didn't know about Into Another. I didn't know about Iceburn. I didn't know about any of that stuff. You know, I'm learning about it by listening to this podcast, you know. And then, thank you. And yeah, then, awesome. I, you know, when I start, I start hanging out with a, another friend of mine years later who's a young, a young dude who's just like a little kid who worked uh, the counter at an arcade that I would stop at on the way home from New York all the time. And like when he was a little kid, I gave him like a judge record when it first came out, like the New York crew record. I was like, this is my band, check it out. And um, so he grows up to be like this hardcore kid and he goes to shows. And then, you know, we wound up running into each other and talking he's like yeah i go to fucking shows in new york all the time so he starts telling me stories about what everybody's doing you know so he i became friends with him so i started hearing what everybody's doing through him you know so he would go to like a show on the weekend and i'd see him on monday be like yeah i ran into this guy he says hi you know i I never because i didn't talk to anybody for fuck 30 years you know wow just just it just wasn't part of my life anymore. You know, I just after like, I did all the stuff with like motorcycles and stuff. I just felt like, like I couldn't go back to there. You know, like I just like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Part of me was like, they probably wouldn't even like who I became. You know, Like it's been so many years, you know, who's, who's to say these guys would even like me at this point, this guy, you know, especially if they, if they remember Mike Judge from 1990, mm-hmm. you know, who's to say they're going to like Mike Judge in 1998, the guy I became, because I was different. I was into different things. I had a different mindset. I was fucking, I wasn't, I was just, I was reckless. I was, I was like a fuck the world type of guy at that point. I just wanted to burn everything down. You know, I was just angry and uh, I just, I don't know. It's hard to explain. My, my my head was twisted. My head's always been twisted, but I was able to keep it in check because I was surrounded by good people and, um, and I knew how to let things out through music. And uh, after a while, when I didn't even have any type of music anymore, it was just, I was just on this other path. So I didn't even think like the people I knew would even want to know me at that point. It wasn't until, you know, a whole lot of years later when, um, that same kid, that same kid, his name's Mike. And, uh, it's funny because like I said, I gave him a record when he was a little kid. And then when judge played the first super bowl, he, he made me talk to his parents, to take him, and I, you know, I put him up at a table and at the old Ritz and stuff. So he'd be protected. And that was like his first show. And then I didn't see him for a whole lot of years. And then I started seeing him and he's like part of the scene now. And so he's telling me all this stuff. And then out of the blue, one day he calls me. It's, you know, I forget. it was the year that uh, Gorilla Biscuits played the uh, black and blue. It was like a couple of years before we played, came back and played. And so he calls me and he's like, you know, uh, sick of it all is, is planned and sold out and I really want to go. Can you get me in somehow? And I was like, I haven't talked to anybody in 30 years, dude. Like, how am I going to get you in? He's like, please. And he's begging me. And he was like a good friend. So I was like, I just happened to find uh, Sib's number. So I called him. I was like, hey, dude, you know who this is? This Mike I used to sing in Judge. And he's like, okay, are you, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I'm like, I got a favor. Could you get a friend of mine that's just sick of it all? And he's like, are you, are you fucking crazy? And so we st- we're talking and we have a laugh about everything. And he's like, yeah, I'll get your friend in, but you got to promise to come see us at the Black and Blue. And so that's how that whole ball got rolling. So up until that point, I was like, I don't even know if these guys – would want to know me you know
2: so we owe this we owe this mike fella bit of boat boat (laughs) to mike because yes i never thought i would get to see judge yeah judge was the biggest miss like it was such a mystery um you know this this record made it even more mysterious um, you know, there was the interviews with you during this time. Like we had, um, you know, one of my favorites is the anti-matter with a friend. Norm. Of pod,
3: Norm yeah. And yeah.
2: And, you know, it was around this time. Uh, there was the one in the all ages straight edge book. Um, I think around the same. It was from Nick 95 or whatever, yep. but never, never thought that, you know, judge would be something we'd see, but it would always be you know, talked about, oh man, imagine if judge played and, you know, uh, Mike, you know, Mike judge. Yeah. There'd always be rumors like the youth of today reunions in Connecticut. I remember it was like, yeah, Mike's Mike's going to come out and do some songs. You know, this was like before the internet was really popping. And, um, so we definitely owe this kid for, uh, we owe yeah. sick of it all for being so awesome that they sell out <laughs> their shows. show sold out <laughs> <And> so <laughs> it's just it's 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 nuts to me because you know in context now, this record to me, the old smoke makes so much sense, and um it hits differently for me personally, which we'll get to I think in a little bit, but um. Just uh, I don't know. Just it's just I'm thankful. And we're, I'm glad that Judge plays, and you get to have that outlet because I truly can't imagine you know your outlet being music and and playing, and then having years where you aren't doing it. Um, you know that sucks. So yeah, yeah.
1: I was there for that for that first show back, and it was unreal. yeah yeah uh, that
3: that whole that whole thing was crazy leading up to it and stuff like it was insane it was just a it's like a testament to how much i love those guys and and shit because you know i don't i don't see or talk to those guys for like whatever 30 years Mm -hmm. maybe once in a while a, a fucking email or something but nothing of any substance you know and then this happens, and you know we have the first rehearsal to get ready for this after like not seeing these guys in like however many years, and then you know I walk in the room and and we just start talking like we were hanging out last night. You know, it's like fucking. Weird. My wife was with us, and uh and she was like, "This is like the weirdest thing ever." I thought, I pictured like this uncomfortable thing like when when you walked in the room but it was just like you know you guys were just like just got done hanging out last night and now you're back together it's just so it's weird I think it's because the amount of time we spent together when we were you know you 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 get to know people when you're like in a van with someone that long
2: I was no. gonna say like it kind of accelerates like a normal friendship you have somebody maybe you see them, you know at work or at at school but like when you're in a band that tours it it like condenses all that time and even if you're touring you know like judge it's not like judge toured for years and years and years and years but you probably went out you know four weeks here three weeks here whatever and that adds up when you're with somebody 24 hours a day for a couple weeks and you, you have a bond that normal people don't understand. Like, like they don't understand that like, dude, this guy, I may not talk to him much, but that dude's my brother, you know, like, yeah.
3: Especially since like, if you take into consideration when we were doing it, how, like, as soon as you pulled out of your state, I mean, you were cut off from everything. I mean, there was, unless you could find a pay phone and call home. Otherwise it was just you and the guys in the van with you and that's your fucking crew. And you learn to like depend on one another in a way that, you know, I don't think, I don't, I don't know if it happens like that anymore because there is like the internet and cell phones. You could always call somebody at home.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. But back then,
3: there was, Yeah, there was like nothing like that, where it's like, it's just us and only us for the the time we're out here.
1: Yeah, what's funny is this record comes out in 93. The Judge Tour, the last show was probably 91. And I mean, I remember everyone was just kind of wanting to know where Mike's at. What's Mike doing? I heard he's doing this. I heard he's doing that. And can you tell us the story about the B-side etching? uh there's ghosts in the woods of Montville I think that was just a I think that's a place we
3: used to hang out at you know in in Montville you know Towaco is called and um at that back then at that point it was not much going on it was all woods and uh it was a typical fucking place where like You know, the popular kids were the kids who were the football players. And, you know, and they they grew up. And once they graduated, they became the town cops. You know, it was like this cycle. And if you weren't part of that group, then you were the targets of that group. So people like me went deep into the woods to hang out. And uh, there was a spot that our group of people had. It was called Gillings. And uh, it was at Gillen's was like this part of the woods. It was like super deep in the woods and you'd just be walking through the woods and then out of nowhere, there's like this tiny cemetery. It was like an old Dutch cemetery. Some of the stones were knocked over or whatnot. It wasn't like preserved or anything. It was all overgrown, but that's where we hung out because nobody could get to you there. And uh, that was part of like me and Todd's whole, growing up is um so it just became it was you know we always used to say it was haunted and shit ghosts in the woods and mob though and it was also you know my own it's just i didn't have like uh i didn't grow up normal like i didn't grow up around other kids i didn't you know i didn't have i didn't grow up i didn't my mother was gone when I was really young my father was always gone so even mean as a little kid it was just me and I was just I just spent all my time out in those woods you know I'm fucking <laughs> I made like imaginary friends I talked to people who weren't there you know it's how I passed my time and uh, so ghost in the woods mouthful is just a reference to all the you know the little the little kid that grew up in those woods by himself with all these imaginary friends to talk to and uh, grows up to write songs. So he trades all those imaginary friends for these songs, which in my head, I'm talking to all these people, you know? It's weird, but I'm fucking crazy. So I'm fucking
2: no, no, i No, and-
1: no, I think that's awesome.
2: I know that that etching. I remember, and I did have to get a kick out of that etching. Was how you said some people found you, uh, like in the anti. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because they were like put two and two together. They saw the name of you know dedicated uh, to to your your uh, mother, and then they Montville, and they looked they looked you up and found where you were. Um, and like at the time too, even for me, reading a couple of years later, that was like, that was like unlocking a great mystery, like of you know where's where's Mike Judge, um, you know. But one of the things I found interesting, you touched on, is like, oh, I wondered if these guys were gonna like what the person I become, because if you think I'm thinking about this era and how different, even the guys that you were in the bands with, like you know, Sammy was off doing his thing. We know Purcell at this point was a monk, you know, so it's like, did you know what was going on? Like, did you know anything about like what Purcell was doing at this point? I mean, I had Purcell, no. I knew, I
3: knew Capo was, uh, you know, doing that deal. Because like I said, where I'm from, Montville, Tawako, there's there's actually a temple in Tawako that the Krishnas bought this, old mansion on top of this fucking hill that as little kids we would sleigh ride on. It was like, camp, it, was, it was called Camp Dawson. And the whole town would sleigh ride on this big hill and the Krishnas bought it. And now we couldn't sleigh ride in this hill. And so it was like this big uproar. Everyone hated the Harry Krishnas. And I was <laughs> like, uh, you know, my friends are Harry Krishna. <laughs> so it was just one of those deals.
2: But uh, the, the Tawako temple actually, by the way, Vic, Vic Dikara. Roger Kishore, he was the president there for a couple years later on in the nineties, which is kind of funny. When you mentioned Tawako, that was like the first thing I, I was like, yeah, Oh yeah, Steve, that's the
3: one. Steve and Kate went, we got, got married there. So uh, it was like a small world. Yeah. They're like, you know, the Reddies are like my people.
1: So. So are you still writing songs now in 2021?
3: uh songs I haven't words yeah always I'll never stop writing down words because I've I've just ingrained it in myself that that's the way I get I get these ideas out
1: you know I don't have like, you ever thought about putting out a book <laughs> I've, I've
3: I've I've I never because There's, I don't want to like make it, you know, too like bad sounding, but there's stuff that I haven't talked about that's happened to me when I was a little kid. And I feel like if I ever was to sit down and do a book, I would have to talk about that. And um, because I believe that's a big part of what fucked me up as I was growing up. And, um, I don't know if I'm ready to take that step yeah. to bring, to, to uncover that. Fair enough. Absolutely. Fair enough.
1: Can we talk about the layout for the record?
3: Uh, sure. I, I have I hadn't, didn't have much to do with it. It's Todd just asked me for a picture and he wanted something like, um, uh, I forget how he explained it. I, I just knew that the um, that picture of my mother and father was uh, I just liked it. And I, I want, wanted to pay tribute somehow. I think at that point also when I was, yeah. Cause now, now I remember cause um, I was looking for something and I was looking through these old pictures and uh, yeah, cause I, uh, I find this, as I'm looking through these pictures, I find this envelope and, um, it says, uh, to Michael, you know, and, uh, that's all it says on it. I, and so I fucking, uh, I open it and it's a, a letter. it's a letter my mother had written me before she died, <laughs> apologizing for, you know, whatever, however you want to say it, choosing choosing these pills over raising her kid so she's apologizing for that and how it made her sick and now she's going to die and she knew she was going to die so she wrote me this letter that I could read when I got older but no one thought to give me it to me so I stumble on it when I'm looking for this picture for the record and so there I see this picture of my mother and father and I'm sure at that point in their lives they thought that this was going to be great for their family. Moving, moving out here from New York was going to be great for the family. So I went with that because why not? You know, it's better than it's better than the reality of it all was that picture of them happy.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely the layout, I think, does really kind of fit the, the mood of the, of the, like the, of the record. Like this isn't a typical revelation release, even coming at it, like we said, from the whole ice burn and, and into another and, and all that. And um, what's interesting too, is that I know Jordan had said this, and I don't know if it was Todd's doing, or maybe if it was Porcel, it was pitched to him as a, uh, you doing a blues record. <laughs> which this isn't a blues right? Ra- you know, it's not a, blues, yeah, I don't but I guess, know. you know, you wonder, is it like, well, just hardcore people not knowing, you know, just being like, well, he's uh, got an acoustic guitar. So it must be, you know, is this him and a guitar or whatever? It must be the blues. I would assume um, it was Todd because I don't think any of those guys knew what I was doing. Yeah. I guess timeline wise. Cause like we said at this point, Purcell was uh, you know, full on brahmachari. Um and this was I guess around the time of attaining the supreme so yeah they were they were full on so it must have been Todd or uh somebody so I thought that was at least kind of humorous like oh, it's, it's Mike doing the blues and it's like no it's something totally different but it's cool Um so I guess if we want to real quick touch on the songs as you know we do uh, or is there anything else Hav before we you have anything before we, Jason? I got one, yeah. I wanted to ask, did you keep up with the reception for the record?
1: Like, were you looking for reviews about the record or anything? I tried no. to find some, but okay.
3: I mean, I got some that um. this uh, this girl who worked for Revelation at the time, her name was Beth. So she was like, she was like stoked on it. And, you know, she would send me like copies of the, uh, of of like reviews, good or bad and stuff. So I actually have them in like this trunk where I keep all my old shit. Mm -hmm. I didn't really pay pay attention to them because it just wasn't, it just didn't interest me at that point. I didn't think, I, I I didn't even want to use the name Mike Judge because um, I didn't want to like, I didn't want anybody who, like to judge to think they might be getting something like that mm. you know it was like todd was like it's got to be this
2: and shit so and I, probably really, jordan, I would think jordan maybe be like well you know if we want to have people you know as from a yeah maybe, i hate I to mean, say it, but I, like a business standpoint you know it i mean sense. i give jordan credit
3: for just being like yeah i'll put it out like I didn't wasn't really keeping up with what Revelation was doing at the point so I didn't mm-hmm. you know as far as I knew they were still that you know hardcore straight edge label and shit
2: right yeah. and like um, uh, so I guess what I was going to say now that I'm thinking of it with not paying attention to reviews was there ever any intention of making like since since it seems like there wasn't like you said it was more just about writing songs was there ever like was it kind of like, well, we'll put out this album or were you like, okay, well the album's out, but I'm just going to keep writing more songs. And then maybe, you know, and t- maybe Todd was like, okay, cool. Let's see if we can write another record. Like did that.
3: Nah. Or Was it just kind of like, I, I got I, these out. Yeah. I, well, I kept writing because I kept writing and recording. Cause that's what was making me happy. Uh, I didn't, I never had an idea to put, anything out in the first place. So like I said, I would take it to the point where the, I had a finished song and then I would start over. I never thought, Oh, I can put out another record. I can do better. No, I just, that kind of shit never crossed my mind.
1: I was just happy to get the stuff out of me. Yeah. What's your fondest memory of recording this record?
3: I have a couple where i thought i really did good unfortunately none of it's like they're not the stuff that came out in that record but just different recording in different spots how i you know emotionally how i felt like i did good Mm -hmm. and I've, i've never been like a guy who patted myself on the back for anything so on those couple times where i was like you know i felt that one you know like things like that, where I like, where I, where I came out of the booth and I was like, Holy shit. You know, I feel empty. That's how I, I wish I could feel like that all the time after letting something out where you just feel drained. And uh, so there was a couple of times where I did that. And then a couple of times where just like I would write this song and I, and all things would be done in this some this guy would want to add something to it and just sitting there watching someone add their idea to a song that I came up with that I didn't even never heard that in my head and now he's adding it to it and shit like that. Like yeah. the whole, I don't know, there's something about creating something that just, it's fulfilling. And then um, when it's done, it's, I just want to, you know, I just wish it could keep happening. Just create again, keep creating.
2: Yeah. Like I almost liken it to like, uh, you know, when you're a kid with like, you know, if you're into Christmas, right. It's like almost the time leading up to the actual day is better than the day itself. Cause then the day comes and it's, it's done to me. That's at least how I'm interpreting, like with you, like the the actual creation and the building and the excitement is the best part. And then it's like, okay, yeah, you get the finished product, but guess what? Like, I want to go back and I want to, I want to chase that, that feeling of, you know, the excitement of creating and uh, building rather than just like the end result. Um, So like when a
3: thing like this with judge, it was like such a collaborative thing that I would like, I would get that feeling Play, I would get that feeling, but I had to play live to get that feeling. Like if ju- when Judge would do just like you or something, and I could look into the crowd and I could see the look on somebody's face, and then I, I'd be like, you get it, don't you? You know, you know what I'm talking about. That did it for me. Here it was like something totally different where it was just I got, I got that fulfillment just from creating this song because it was all me.
2: Did you have any, were there any, and I'm saying even throughout the years, not even just when this came out, any surprising fans of this record? Like people who they want to talk to you about music, but it's like, they're not talking about bringing it down. Like they actually want to talk about, about sites, about this record.
3: Yeah. I don't, I've never really entertained it though, but there have been people who are just like, wanted to talk about the record and, just don't know what to say about it like I didn't even know what I was going to say today I've been I thinking about it all week I'm like it's all it would just be so great if Todd was here to talk about this because uh, he was such a driving force behind it all um, not to mention the fact I miss him a lot And I could have used them this last year. Yeah. But it would have been great for him to, like, be part of this because he he was so stoked about it all. So it would have been cool for him to get that justification, like, look, they're talking about it, dude. This was
1: your idea, and they're talking about it. Yeah. And he, he plays the harmonica on the record, right? Uh, yeah, he played second guitar on it too. Okay. But I mean, that harmonica sings through that whole record. I mean. Well, he played
3: harmonica in the the Judge record too. Is there a harmonica on that record? I don't remember. Mm -hmm. uh, Oh, yeah, that's me. I'm playing the harmonica on that. On sites. Oh, that's you on sites playing yeah. the harmonica. He, yeah, he plays guitar, rhythm guitar on that record on
1: the electric. Uh, so, stuff. since he did the harmonica on "When the Levy Breaks," I just assumed that it was him doing it on this. Nah, that was,
3: yeah, that um, the harmonica and acoustic guitar is like all done at the same time, like you know, folky style. You know,
1: that I don't know why, but that is wild to me that you. Play drums, sing guitar and harmonica,
2: and words, and wrote words. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's not, you know, don't sell yourself short. Like not everybody can do can do that. It takes it takes someone with actual talent to be able to do that. And and I will say, at least from everything I've, you know, taken in in my nerdery of, you know, hardcore and judge uh rest easy knowing that todd like i knew todd was a big part of this whole story even before this so if i know it that means other people know it too um that like he played a huge part in this in this chapter of of your life and of the band and and you know i know uh from what i remember didn't you say even like when judge got back together Like, you basically had a run... Like, he came to a rehearsal or something. Yeah, I was, like... like, I didn't... I didn't... You know, for a a long time,
3: like, me and Todd always had that relationship where, for the longest time, we were together every day, and we are always traveling on motorcycles and whatnot. And then, um, when that's all done, and and now I'm, like, not playing music, really. So we're not seeing each other as much, but we're still like brothers, you know? And um, so when the whole thing happened where I was going to do judge again, I didn't, you know, I didn't see him for a bit. And then when it was time for like the rehearsal, not the first rehearsal because I just had to get that under my belt by myself. But like one of the next rehearsals, I called him up and I was just like out of the blue because I hadn't seen him in a bit. And I was like, hey, man, I need, a, I need a ride into Brooklyn. And so, like, he was just like, sure, whatever. And then uh, I didn't tell him what for or anything, but we had that relationship where it didn't matter. And uh, so he drove me into Brooklyn. I was like, come on, come in with me. And there was this place called The Sweatshop. It was just called The Sweatshop, so he didn't know it was a rehearsal studio. We walked in, and then we walked into the room, and it was like Purcell, Sammy, Matt, and shit. And he was like, what the fuck? You know. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, dude, the band's back together."
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, I I just think that's such a neat story. Um, and you know, again, it's just. Uh, I I I too wish we could have talked to him and and uh, you know because he's he's really like like you said like, you can kind of feel his his spirit all over this and the fact that like he was your like conduit to Jordan for getting this out and everything. Um, I mean, this wouldn't exist. It's clear that this record as it is wouldn't have existed without him. So. Oh yeah, no doubt. It so, would yeah. it wouldn't be it. There would be nothing.
3: He was a conduit of it all.
2: So Jason, did you have a, uh, any others before we get to the hot tracks? Is this uh? is this you and Ty riding on the,
1: yeah. Yeah. We're down in Florida.
2: Oh, actually one uh, on the on the sheet I asked him. You know that's so the reverse side here there's you on the yeah. uh, top. That's Todd and Dennis. Okay, uh, Todd is this is Todd. Yeah. And then this is this was Dennis on the bottom yeah. right. Okay, cool. Looks like it De- looks like Dennis has a, a Philadelphia shirt on or something i see philadelphia he he was just like a crazy crazy old hippie his
3: whole like room was just just wall-to-wall cassette tapes of like you know uh live live recordings of bands from like woodstock on crazy crazy he was so into music he actually his like his like uh idol was eric clapton he was such a phenomenal guitar player, but he would never play in a band because he didn't want to, he didn't want to play live because he wouldn't accept money to play music. Cause I said it, it would, it, that, that'd make me a whore. You know, (laughs) he had this weird philosophy. So he would play, he would play with you, but he would never join a band to play out. And, uh, I forget what it was, but like all these people were getting together and like Clapton was going to be there. And so he was invited. And uh, so he said I could come with him. And I was, he was like, you know, I'll introduce you to Clapton. I'll introduce you to Dylan. I was like, cool. He's like, yeah, Neil Young's going to be there now. Like, then I chickened out because I, I, like, I was like so fucking, you know, I was so starstruck by fucking Neil Young and shit. I was like, I can't do it.
2: Oh, man. <laughs> so he was the ultimate. I mean, he didn't want to take money. That's not even like Kugazi uh, even got some money, so I guess he's yeah. he's even more he's even more pumped than Ian Mackay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Let's kick hot tracks, Jason. Yo, what's your hot track on sites? Ooh, so
1: I had to narrow it down between two. So I had to. So I love coming home as the intro. I just think you know the the beginning to judge of bringing it down, that take me away, puts you in that mindset of just like, you just want to raise your fist up, but then hearing this, it just puts you in this kind of somber state and just kind of takes me to, I don't know. I remember, this is going to be my hot track because I remember picking this tape up and I didn't know what to expect. I expected the next Judge LP. And so we rode on the Georgetown Parkway, the George Washington Parkway back to my house in Northern Virginia, dark, dark night. And then hearing that harmonica kick things off, it wasn't what I expected. And I was confused by it, but I wasn't like, what the fuck? Because I grew up in a family that liked and appreciated classic rock. So I was like, this is not what I expected, but I just remember that moment. And then you have the lyrics, those younger, darker days. And to me, I thought younger, darker days. Judge was fucking awesome. Like, You know, I was thinking, I put you in a box, this record, open that box up. So Hmm. that was my intro to this. So coming home, that's my hot track.
0: Nice. Uh, My hot track is Someone I Could Have Loved. Um, To me, it's the catchiest song you know, with, with the repetition of the verse, um, it's it's like a it's got a crooning quality to it, and it makes a lot of sense that you mentioned like John Prine and Towns Van Zant. I never really made that connection with this record to those before. Like the obvious one is Neil Young, right? That's just the 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 obvious influence. But to hear those other like, what I always considered, like, uh, you would hear it in a, in a pool hall in Nashville or something like that. You know, it's a little bit like the seedier side of, of country music, singer-songwriters. Um, and I mean that as a, as a compliment, because I love that. I love Outlaw Country. I love that, like, old country feeling. Um, but yeah, that no, song... That- but that song for me uh, really like is just the standout track of this whole record. Greg, what about you? Oh, me.
2: So I, one of the things I think is cool about this record is the way it's sequenced. You got like the, you know, just the acoustic guitar uh, stuff. That's mainly, you know, just you on side one. It's almost like a split. Yeah, like if you're talking vinyl, <laughs> side two. So mine's on side two. Mine uh-huh. is the song Wish. Um, this one hits hits close to home for me, at least the way I interpret the lyrics. I, um, and it's, you know, we're recording this on Mother's Day. And uh, this month is uh, seven years since I lost my mom, um, unexpectedly, and ironically the last time i saw her was on mother's day Mm. and this song and just the lyrics you know i wish we had some time together i was just too young i mean i wasn't as young as i think you know you were mike but you know i was but still i felt like you know even when you're like 30 you're not expecting to lose a parent Mm -hmm. and uh you know my mom had struggles with, you know, when I was growing up, it was kind of the same thing. My mom was bedridden a lot, uh, mental health issues, depression. So it was a lot of just me and my brothers kind of having free reign while my dad worked. Um, and then you know, I, as a kid, I didn't understand mental health, so I was like almost like embarrassed. Like I couldn't really talk about my mom has depression. Nobody really, this was in the nineties growing up. Nobody really, it wasn't something that was on people's radar. Yeah. And, um, you know, when she, she passed, I guess I was 33, right. So seven years ago, but, um, you know, just this song kind of just spoke to me a lot. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I, this record would not have resonated with me as a 16 year old kid. Uh, but as like someone who f- heard it for the first time, uh, in their thirties, you know, I probably heard it within the last few years. Um, I I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't because I was able to come at it with a, a clean slate. And, um, yeah, I just, I think this is a great, really heart wrenching song, but, uh, S- speaks to me
3: yeah if I was going to um, if I was going to pick a song it would be Wish Also just just because you know it basically the song did the lyrics did come out of like me finding this letter and um, you know a lot of whether right or wrong, a lot of people as I was growing up, whether it be, you know, school making me go to therapists and then later on, you know, other people forcing me to go to therapists. But um, it always seemed to boil down to um, not so much an A father who wasn't around but just not knowing my mother you know having my mother you know pass away when I was like 11 12 years old and even before then just being bedridden and sick and you know there was other things involved with that after she died where you know my brother was like who's my brother was like 10 years older than me so not a nice guy and everything. And, you know, he had me convinced that I was the reason she died because I didn't act fast enough or some shit. So I carried a lot of blame for a lot of years. And, you know, I don't know, man. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out why my mind works the way it works. Now I just deal with it you know but lyrics wise that song wish is uh still kind of tears me up inside so if a song is supposed to do that bring out an emotion that one does it
0: mike i have a last question for you will any more old smoke songs ever see the light of day
3: Just that link I gave you guys it's i don't it's that's the only stuff that's out there. I don't plan on recording anything so
0: any of the any of the uh tapes that you have in your closet you know we we know people who have recording studios that could uh you know extract uh, things off of those. I don't know
3: if I'm ready to go down those roads,
0: yeah, well. I'm just putting it out there into the universe, as they say, that there's people who want to hear more songs from you. So if you ever, you know, decide that you're ready to do that, we are eagerly awaiting any more Old Smoke stuff. Or whatever version it is. There there may be new songs. They won't be Old Smoke, but there may be new songs. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that it would be hard to use that moniker without todd um but if you have stuff to put out there you know yeah just do it
3: like i said i'm always writing always yeah.
0: writing good good um is this the last time that we get to talk to mike judge on our podcast for a release oh he says don't. no
2: he's Frank, muted but says yeah no.
0: get off mute Sorry. Uh, I said, no, thank goodness. Uh, the judge,
2: judge discography. Yes. CD. Uh, but it won't in be like for a while. Three years. Two years from now.
0: Yeah. And by that time <laughs> we'll have some new, uh, material from judge out into the world. Hopefully. Maybe or not at, least, on- at the very least from, from Mike, we, you know, yeah. like you said, if you're always writing
2: your words, resonate oh, okay. with people in judge and you know, on this record, so I may do something with Kate. So yes. yeah, be
0: great project. Mike and Kate. I never no, know, no, brother. Nobody else got that. No, no. I, got <laughs> I, got I got it. I got it. I got it. The wheels were turning for this. Got to be Everyone something like, Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. We we're like we were the Homer Simpson going down. Yeah, like, uh, <laughs>
3: <okay. laughs>
0: All right, well, Mike seriously like we love having you um to hear that you ever listen to our podcast is uh we really take that to heart and we're super stoked to be able to talk about this record and to talk to you at all so thank you so much for your time um and can't wait to talk to you again man yeah thank you you
3: guys i
2: appreciate it
0: of course thanks for letting me be a part Uh, anytime you what about y'all what hey listen um <laughs> mike judge echoed something last night i had ice cream with one of our patrons whose name is quiet keith his real name's keith crawford um but he is kind of a quiet guy so he got the nickname quiet keith and he told me that our podcast helps him to discover the history of hardcore leading up to when he got into hardcore, like mid-90s, you know. He actually has contributed some photos to me of like Kill Holiday playing and Death by Stereo and stuff like that. So that's kind of like his era. But Mike Judge just kind of echoed those sentiments a little bit by saying, you know, he had checked out of hardcore to do his own thing. And so now listening to our podcast helps him to learn about some of those bands. And I think that that's really cool and really uh, makes me feel good about doing this. Like, you know, we are chronicling things, we are preserving things, and we're talking about these releases in a way that doesn't normally get done. And so I think the three of us should be should have some sort of pride that we are, you know, helping people navigate through this vast expanse of hardcore and specifically revelation really. Yeah, I
2: mean, you gotta think like, first off, Mike listening to the podcast, like if you would have told 16 year old me that like Mike Judge would be listening to anything (laughs) I have to say. Sure. I'd be like that's crazy. That's my fanboy moment. I'll get that out. Um, but yeah, like what you said, you have to think like, sure, there's always been talk about Gorilla Biscuits, Judge, Youth Today, but really where where else can you find somebody talking about Iceburn, has fa- Hephaestus, or, um, you know, the statue record, or, or this record, Old Smoke. And um, that's why for me it's important that we get these – interviews with the people that were directly involved mm-hmm. because it allows them to tell the story of mm-hmm. you know what was going on and um you know i guess now would be a good place as any to mention like we're getting into a part of the catalog too where there's a lot more there's a lot less information about this era
0: mm-hmm.
2: right i don't really know how else to put it so it's like We definitely want to make sure that we get to talk to the major, you know, the players. And sometimes with scheduling, like, as you know, like this episode is a week later than probably people thought it was going to be. We had, we luckily got to sit down with uh, Anthony Papalardo last week, but that's not the last time something like this is going to happen. Like we're going to have detours, but the detours we have are going to make sense and they're going to be fun and they're going to be interesting But just for the sake of quality and scheduling, uh, it's you're not you're probably not necessarily going to go through four or five rev titles a month, you know, depending on how many Wednesdays fall in that month. Like, it's just it's um, it's just not really doable. And I think people like this isn't our job, you know, I don't we don't work on we we work on this a ton, yeah, but like we have. Actual day jobs. So it's like, you know, a lot of work goes into stuff, which that's why we're grateful for our patrons for the support because we put in a lot of time, you know, with Hav with the ed- editing and putting together the episodes and Jason with uh, doing graphics and videos and myself, you know, scheduling everything and getting everything lined up. So I guess I'm just taking this little bit of time to thank patrons uh, and if you're interested in helping out where it went, and you can see how to become a patron because, uh, we're going to try and also use more and try to get some more cool bonus. We have a lot of really neat ideas coming for uh bonus episodes that will be for patrons only, mm-hmm. um, put, you know, turn a little more focus into, uh, the Patreon world and, um, I guess that's, that's all I got. Just thank everybody and let you know that like, yeah, there's going to be, not every week is going to be a release. And, uh, you know, we hope people are okay with that, Yeah, um, but we'll make it worth, we'll make it worth your while. We I, promise.
1: Th- I think the main, the main point is we're going to make the episodes the best that they can be. Exactly.
2: The quality. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking off, off record. Like the, when you listen to this interview with a mic you i i i can't think of anybody who's like oh i don't want i wouldn't want to hear that i'd have rather heard them just talk about this record without him a week earlier like nobody's going to say that like we'd rather sit and talk to mike you'd rather listen to mike you know that's why people are tuning in they want to hear what these you know people have to say so that's my long spiel as they would say our yeah. friend bojack
0: um but yeah that's all i got nice Uh, I think this is a really cool episode to do. You know, talking to Mike Judge is always a pleasure. Um, When he was talking, it made me realize that I had met Todd once. Um, My friend Matt Pike lives directly across the street from the Orange County Fairgrounds. And there was a big show there, Gorilla Biscuits, Judge... I don't know if there was an opener, maybe H2O, can't really remember, but it was Gorilla Biscuits and Judge. And that's all that matters really to me. And um, so, you know, met up with Moose uh, Charlie at Pike's house. And then we walked across the street. I think maybe a Ram was there as well and uh, met Todd very briefly. And I just remember he, he had a great personality. He was really nice he was like really warm, and his fucking cut his you know his vest with the judge and the hammers on it was so sick to see. So, um, and that was just like a really brief meeting, and so I, I cannot imagine like you know being able to share uh, a life with with someone like that. It's really cool, and and hearing Mike talk about that and. You know really it kind of reminded me of a like Morrissey and Marr relationship as well like anybody could just create some songs and record them but when you have a companion who's there to like help you craft stuff and and has maybe ideas and riffs and stuff like that it seriously makes things so much better
2: yeah and he was he was you know it seemed like he was like Mike's biggest fan like mm-hmm. he was the one saying like this stuff has to get out there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, talking to Jordan, because like Mike said in the interview, like he wasn't even thinking on that level. He was just thinking like, I'm going to write songs. I'm going to write lyrics and, uh, Hey, what, that's it. Like, I don't, I don't really care about there being an end yeah. product
0: Yeah. You know?
2: and, and Todd saw that through. So
0: much that's respect. Cool. To,
2: yeah. Much respect to him
0: hmm. Jason, I liked your story about listening to um, Judge on a on a dark or old smoke on a dark road. Uh, yeah. I, ha- I have a really favorite dark road album that's like, you know, when it's super late at night and you're driving by yourself and you put it on and it really like sets the mood. It has nothing to do with Rev or anything. It's actually by another New Jersey band called The Banner. Um, They had an album called Frailty. It's one of like the darkest, heaviest, really dirty album. But when I put it on and especially there's this stretch of road by my house, that's just like, you know, maybe no streetlights. You drive through a naval weapons base. And it's so cool to put that record on and, um, you know, just get enveloped by the darkness all all around you. So I, I really enjoyed that story from you. Uh,
1: that's cool. Yeah, those younger, darker days. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of driving down that that uh, parkway. But do you remember? Have I'm sure both of you have driving all night long when you're on tour, and then seeing the sunrise. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, I missed yeah. that. Yeah, maybe playing some third eye blind.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely, <laughs> right? well, before, definitely before, not counting crows. Yeah. Before we get to that, because I, I, you remind me, I want to mention that. Um, I also wanted to clarify with my story. I wanted to make it known just cause you never know who's listening. Yeah. Um, I wasn't trying to infer that like my father wasn't in the picture, didn't do anything. That wasn't the case at all. Sure. So, like he was the only one working. So it was like, my dad was working during the day. My mom would be home with us, but just up in bed mm-hmm. and you know, my siblings and I would be kind of left to our own devices, but my dad was very much there, you know, great father and, uh, did everything he could for me and my brothers. So I just figured I was like, I bet I want to, you know, I want to make sure yeah. that that's not, uh, that that doesn't get misconstrued, uh, you know, as things I didn't think sometimes that. be. So I figured I'd throw that out there right. now onto a more pressing matters. <laughs> I, is there a way to view a poll's results after it's gone? Like, yeah.
1: Oh, after it's
2: gone. Yeah, you can't. I'm going to say that like, it looked like third. So OK, for context, we, we were talking about um, w- what style of music is that? Like just pop. A,
1: I would just pop. say pop rock.
2: So we, we in our group chat, we mentioned uh, Third Eye Blind and Counting Crows. And I put up a, a poll on Instagram to settle this where it went debate. And I have to say, I was shocked at the results that Third Eye Blind clearly took the lead. Of Mars. course. you would be shocked. Yeah. yeah, that's just science. <laughs> I guess I because, guess well, I mean, both have that, like, Third Eye Blind did tour right before the pandemic. They toured with Saves a Day. So, like, they had a foot in that world, and they covered someone. Um, oh, my God. Who or, uh, did they cover? Did they, they cover, cover Baby, Baby Shambles? Division. They covered Joy Division. Joy Division
1: and maybe um, Baby
2: Shambles. And I know that there was an interview where the singer mentioned how much he loved nothing. The The singer of Third Eye Blind. Yes, you're sick. But wasn't Matchbox Twenty? I always get those two confused. Even Uh, though I actually like Third Eye Blind, I do like Third Eye Blind. But to me, Counting Crows was the clear one. They were uh, absolutely not. Well, you said also Crows.
0: Uh, I thought, I thought you were talking about, uh, come on, baby mama, cause I showed Hannah now. That's the Black Cross, right? Yeah, that's what I thought you were talking about this whole time. Because to me, everything that you guys are talking about is garbage. (laughs) And not the Shirley Manson band. And not, well, and I, even, I think the band garbage is garbage. To me, all of this is radio, one hit wonder stuff that I was... Embarrassed to listen to third eye One blind hit four hit wonders. Yeah,
2: uh, Counting Crows Round Here. Do I do I need to look like
0: at no. no. is
1: there Jason. an album? Real talk. Is there an album from Counting Crows that I should listen to? Because it's the first no, record.
0: No, don't waste your time. Oh, stop. I don't
2: think
1: I'm gonna waste my time, but <laughs> uh,
0: okay. So Jason and I also brought- don't let my wife hear this because she's a huge third eye blind fan. Yo, the first so
1: Jared Carmen. Trapped under rice, down to nothing. The smartest thing I've heard someone say to me, as far as album reviews go, is that the first third Eye Blind self titled is the age of quarrel for pop music.
2: Okay, start I to can finish, see
1: that. bangers, bangers, sure. banger, I think
2: I think we can change the the benchmark to something different.
1: Okay, the start it's today. It's the start today. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: It's the start today. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> there no, was, I love age of coral. I'm just, I'm speaking just. Speaking of to to have this crossover uh i'm looking there, up sales numbers right now the first the first counting crews, and the, what's the what name what does of it the, matter like Mc, look up sales numbers for mcdonald's
0: people <laughs> are garbage and they like people are trash don't ever forget it they like <laughs> also
1: garbage. the singer for third eye blind is known for being garbage so. i don't I,
0: it, I wouldn't even get that far Listen, okay fair. but there was a gig at the so there's a, a venue in orange county called the observatory it's very it's been there a long time they have two rooms the small room is like 400 cap. The big room's like 1,200 cap or something okay. like that. There was a gig, and I used to have kind of an in there, so I could like get tickets and stuff. There was a gig. I think that it was Burn and Bane, maybe. Okay. Was, was, does that I sound was saying Boo Burns. Yeah, and so I watched Burn because, of course, I'm a huge Burn fan. I'm not a huge Bane fan. So what happened? In the small room was this Burn Bain show. In the big room was Third Eye Blind. So I got my wife tickets, balcony tickets to Third Eye Blind. So she went in, watched Third Eye Blind, cried her eyes out. I watched Burn. left during Bain, and went upstairs and sat next to her and watched a few songs of Third Eye Blind. See, I would rather watch Bain. Well... I, I would I have been, pain. I would have been fine with just watching burn only and then going home and watching TV. Okay. But <laughs> just cause you, you said one hit wonders.
2: Yeah. I, I have some umbrage for, for both. Both sure. are not one hit wonders. Sure. And I like third eye blind. That first record's good. Third eye blind have sold 12 million records. Again, I know sales doesn't matter and McDonald's and, you know, Justin Bieber or whatever the fuck people, you know, but Third Eye Blind sold 12 million. Justin Bieber got hits. Counting Crows. <laughs> Counting Crows have sold 20
0: million.
1: Really? But I mean, Long December's fine. I feel like that's Wait, a good so You're saying
0: that popularity, if popularity was dollars, then Counting Crows would be more popular than Third Eye Blind.
2: Yeah,
1: that yeah. blows my mind. I was, yo, I was totally surprised that anybody was on Team Crowning Co- uh, team Counting Crows with you. Why? I don't know, because I always
0: thought of them as just pop trash. They were on trash. the DGC right.
2: rarities comp. Man. I don't know what that
0: means. Listen, <laughs> like, what about the fool's like weird, like, weird like the weird dread top knot thing? He looked like the guy from, uh, was it Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? That was a look,
1: right? That That was a a look.
0: Yeah. yeah, Didn't you have to get rid of that? Was it some sort of like appropriation? Yeah. He
2: shaved his head, but Jason and I were having a a convo with friend of the pod and rev alumni, Mike DC. Mm -hmm. So Mike DC was like, how would anybody choose anything other than counting crews? Brian, Brian, Mike's brother, another friend of the pod. Mm -hmm. Battery and Be Well. He was like, Counting Crows, clearly. So to uh, to me, it was Bloom. I was like, I'm going to put this poll up and people are going to be smashing that CC button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they weren't. And I I was just shocked because, again, that the first two records, after that, they've got some tracks, but the first two albums for Counting Crows are great. Okay. I think they're flawless. I think uh, really the first album... Um, I mean, his lyrics are incredible. He writes really good lyrics. So, Jason, that's why I, I was honestly just shocked because you say you're a lyric person.
1: Yeah, I'm a huge lyric person. And, but There's and, some good lyrics in there on the self-titled, but there's uh, some really bad, corny lyrics on the first one, too. But uh, I could not stand behind anything else in their catalog except for the first LP and the first song on the second record.
2: Okay. see The first County song Crow's, on the second record is actually really good. I was standing by the first two albums and then um, – they had one a couple of years ago that was decent. Um, Who? Counting. is shaking oh. his head
1: right now. And, well,
2: you know me. You know me. I'm a big guy, a production nerd, right? Mm-hmm. So the first, the first album they worked with uh, T Bone Burnett. Have you ever heard of him? Yep. Or Burnett? Is it Burnett? Burnett. He did yeah. like he's he's a guy that does like a lot of like um, uh, he did the Big Lebowski soundtrack like. Uh, I think he does a lot of stuff with the Coen brothers and, um, but then the second record they worked with Gil Norton. Do you know who that is? Nope. I do. Why do I? He did um, a bunch of pixie stuff. I was going to say, I knew it was the pixies fucker. and uh, Foo Fighters color in the shape. Okay. And also that last higher power record. Ooh, like oh, nice. Record. So there's, there's some shin hey. and uh, so the Counting Crows record he did has those kind of like crunchy guitars. Like, pixies. Can you mosh
0: to it? Does it sound like higher Power? Angels of the
2: Silences? You can mosh to that.
0: Hey, listen. Yo. Black Crows, 30 million records sold. <laughs> Listed as number 92 on VH1's 100 Greatest Artists of Hard Rock. Really? Yes. You so know, I had tickets. Take your money maker. That's a good yeah. record. Yeah.
2: So I, I had tickets
0: say. when they played with um,
2: Oasis. That's what I was gonna say. They toured with Oasis. It was the Brotherly Love tour. Yes, but I was sick, so I left after Oasis, which I'm bummed. Like Black Crows are cool. You know who loves the Black Crows? Two mm. Rev alumni, because I, I always see I always see on social. You know, you can see who's comment uh, commenting and stuff.
1: You follow um, the Black
2: I, Crows? I do follow Black Crows. Why not? They're on Instagram. Follow, okay. Smash the follow button. Uh, <laughs> Garrett and Chris from Texas is the Reason. Nice. Uh, Huge okay. fans mm. of the Black Crows. I don't follow Third Eye Blind. She talks to angels. And I won't. Nope. I won't follow Counting it Crows either. Cool. I follow Counting Crows. All right.
1: Well, <laughs> there's no guilty pleasures, but Third Eye Blind is my guilty pleasure. <laughs>
0: But, but counting
2: crews, no are not a guilty pleasure for me. I, 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 I,
0: no. Yeah, I mean, I think out of the three of us, you're more inclined to listen to like pop music. And I don't mean like poppy. I just mean like to me, these bands are. This is pop music. You know what I mean? This yeah, is like it is regular radio rock. Do you guys have a, a radio station there that plays this kind of music? Yeah, yes, but
2: see for our see for us here. Counting Crows would be played on like the alternative station. Like they would play like, you know, Nirvana, R.E.M., Oasis, Counting Crows, whatever. Maybe mm-hmm. that's why I don't I don't know. But I think Counting Crows have a little bit more of a foot in the indie world than we who think. have they
1: toured with who does counting who, who does counting crows tour with i'm sorry to they, play, i'm sorry to keep talking counting crows no, this,
2: hey they, they <laughs> actually when i was looking they toured on the first record with somebody where i was like so i'm gonna look right now it wasn't lush but it was like i feel like it was something like that um where they they went on their first tour uh it was something where i was oh suede uh, oh, really? A bit of bow to Rob Moran. They they toured extensively in 1993 and 94, both as headliners and in supporting with artists such as the Rolling Stones, Cracker, okay. The Cranberries, Suede, Bob Dylan, Los okay. Lobos, Jellyfish, and Midnight Oil. All right. Some counting crows knowledge
1: for this you. Is,
0: this is MTV.
1: Yeah. This You're correct. The opposite of underground music. But did you, you ever know, watch 120 minutes? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. 120 minutes 120 minutes was awesome and Headbangers Ball also
0: Triple Thrash Threat. But I you know what? I was minutes. I would and I think that I've mentioned this before, I would set my VCR to record Yo MTV Raps while I was oh, at nice. school and then come home and watch it because that's yeah. what I was interested in.
2: Yeah. I would record 120 minutes because it was on like Sunday night into well technically Monday morning at midnight and I would just record it on VHS and then go through or maybe it was Saturday night either way it was too late yeah it was late but man there was so much cool stuff on there which I don't know if Counting Counting Crows
0: may have been too pop to be on 120 I think they would have been too pop what was the first uh like video from the world that we talk about on this podcast that you remember seeing on Maybe MTV so like or hardcore, or, or Fuse or much music. Maybe not even hardcore, but Are we like talking... Adjacent.
1: Rev, Rev sure. adjacent? Sure, adjacent, yeah. Uh, does Sonic Youth count?
0: No, absolutely oh, okay. not. <laughs> no. I'm going to okay. go with Quicksand. Um, I actually really enjoyed all of the Quicksand videos, especially Thorn in My Side. That's a fucking really cool video. There's a video for Freezing Process... Um, that's pretty cool. I've never seen till YouTube. Uh, yeah, no, I remember seeing them on that television. I got mine. Um, and uh, the video for "Unsung," the Helmet "Unsung" video. Yeah, that, that was is huge. A, ooh, that is yo. Meantime is a perfect album, start to finish, no skippers. I love that record. And Who the I, hell would disagree with that? Uh, I I don't. E- I don't really like Simpsons any... Homer Simpson in the bush yeah. Fading back uh, Wait,
2: Hold on You don't think Meantime by Helmet Is a perfect record?
1: I think that song is awesome
0: uh, And I think the song is me, awesome
1: But there's something about The, the vocals are kind of
0: talky At times, yeah They're shouted Some of them Yeah, yeah. Huh. That's where uh, I'm coming from
1: I gotta live my truth I think that the vocals Are kind well, of talky Well, my
0: truth sense. is that I don't really enjoy Any album after Meantime I like oh. Strap It On I like Meantime. I don't like Betty. I don't like, like, I'll listen to some of it, but I don't love the other albums. Their underrated yeah. gem is Aftertaste. Yes, that's what everyone says. Um, um that, it, yeah. were,
2: it gives me some Jawbox vibes. I'll go back and listen they, to that one. They toured together. But see, to me, that wasn't Rev adjacent, or I would have said that too, because I saw that. Sure. I was in like fifth grade or whatever when on when sure. Meantime came out, and I was huge into it because it was like heavy, but they didn't look like metal guys, which was cool as shit to me. Like, you know, Paige Hamilton. No, they're wearing like stripes. Yeah, stripes. Shirts and, and
0: hats like, and stuff. They yeah. look like skaters. They look like 90s yes. skaters. Yeah. And I thought that was yeah. cool. Mine
2: yeah. was not even Rev Adjacent. It was technically Rev. Siv, can't wait one uh-huh. minute more.
0: That, that video was oh, okay. all over. Yeah. It was a buzzbin. Yeah. That was clip. huge. Yeah.
2: Um, I can't wait to talk about that record. By and
0: the way. wasn't it, wasn't that song on a car commercial? Yes, So like the like drums, do, da, do, da, do, yeah. Da, do, but that da, do,
2: was that was like to the point where I went to my first day of high school in a sieve shirt, and like sort of normal people knew what it was. Oh, weird. Because like they were that was like the summer song. You know, it was like all over the MTV and stuff that summer. Can't wait one minute more. Because I was at first I was going to say oh I think H two O ever ready video but that was a few years later because I remember it was weird to see on the hundred and twenty minutes like hardcore you yeah know?
1: well yeah. the what, the quicksand video was uh what do they call it a buzz clip yeah yeah the quicksand video was a buzz clip and so was helmet also mm-hmm.
2: yeah dude there was so much. There was so much good stuff then. I mean, maybe it's dating us, right? But there really was. Like No, there's oh. good stuff now. We still listen
0: to good stuff now. No, there, no, I, I, no there's I, not. I, there's nothing good now. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding.
2: I'm not denying that, but I mean, that era there was just so much to take in. It was exciting. It was an exciting time for sure. Yeah. yeah. Dang. So, like Judge and Old Smoke. Judge and Old Smoke. Do you guys Um, have anything else to add? I mean, I don't really have too much else to add
0: because... When this record came out, I overlooked it. I think that I I heard it and I was like you, Jason. Your initial thought was like, this isn't Judge. And I think that turned me off. The other thing that turned me off about it at the time was that this is the music that my mom listened to when I was growing up. And so I checked out of that kind of music for a long time um neil young i have said this before neil young crosby stills nash joni mitchell all that stuff that was my mom's jam and so i didn't want to have anything to do with it and so then as an adult getting these albums on vinyl and really experiencing them as a record and not just radio tracks like taking it back to the radio tracks yeah um it, I, I didn't, I just didn't want to hear it, man. And now I want to hear it like now, especially side a of sites, I'll sit down and listen to it. I was actually, as they say, wrenching on my van. I have a new, um, <laughs> I bought a 1985 Vanagon Westphalia, and I was doing some repairs in the driveway today and I put on side a of sites and it was great Sunday morning. It's a little bit foggy here today. You know the neighborhood's quiet, and in the garage, I got some Mike Judge crooning with an acoustic guitar. It was a perfect moment. So yeah. this is a little bit. This album is for grown-ups, I think. Yeah, and this is for adults. This album is not for children who are expecting to hear "Bringing It Down" part two. Yeah, yeah, and I. That's why I said I'm glad. I'm glad that
2: streaming and you like all that stuff wasn't around because I think I would have not given this a fair shake, um, back then I would have been like, it would
1: have been easy to dismiss it really quickly. Yeah.
2: And, um, you know, hearing it within the last few years and knowing, knowing Mike, you know, from talking to him for these and knowing the whole, his whole, I guess for lack of a better term, his whole arc story arc, um, it just makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, and, um, I think this is a real underrated release. And like Hobson, I think grown ups, grown ups, which sounds funny, adults you definitely a, check it out. Like Jason, a. Jason and I had a yeah. conversation one morning and mentioned like like I've been listening to a lot of Dinosaur Junior, which you know also influenced by Neil Young, and some of those tracks on the second side they sit you know, you could have a mix of dinosaur junior and then have that come on and it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't like uh, knock you out of your chair.
1: Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. If Jay mask has covered one of these songs. I could see it and it would be sick. Yeah. But I'm glad this record exists. I think it's cool. Especially it's a cool answer to where's Mike judge. I heard he did this and I heard he did that. And then for this record to come out and for it to look so dark And for the lyrics to be dark and introspective. And I really actually love that photo of his parents on the back. I think that's a huge part of this record visually. And I think it just, it captures the record. It's a cool chapter in his life. I think that he shared with us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of, even, even though actual time wise was a huge amount of time, This came out in '93. Yeah, Judge didn't play Black and Blue Bowl till 2013. That's uh, 20 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it still somehow bridges the gap between Judge Mach 1 and you know the current Judge. Like this needed to exist for there to be Judge
0: now.
1: I think this is my first real time record too
0: that we've been
1: talking about. Yeah, I
0: think Mm -hmm. so. Oh, wow. You have not made it. Uh, Interesting story about, uh, we have to find out, actually, I don't want to find out who this Mike kid is, who, uh, you know, basically is the one who, because of him, Mike Judge went to Black and Blue. They played New York Crew. You know, you know the rest of the story if you've tuned into this podcast or know anything about hardcore at all. So, um, huge bit up, Bo to mike whoever you are i hope you hear this and realize that you made a difference seriously like him and todd are both kind of
2: unsung heroes of the judge story and the judge resurrection so um you know all respect to todd's family and um we're super bummed that we couldn't talk to him for this too Mm -hmm. so
1: yeah. Can I say we one hope, last thing?
2: Yeah, well, okay. I was just going to say we we just hope we we hope that uh we did justice to Todd's legacy um for you know if somehow friends or family of his are listening um you know we we hope we did okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say that you know Mike was talking about that time period where he had been off the radar and if his friends weren't um going to like who he was when he came back i think that's what makes hardcore what it is is there's this kind of family aspect to it where i could see someone that i haven't seen for 10 years and you do just kind of pick up where you left off and that's just yeah what it is
2: and there you're there you're that's to me that's the testament of who's your real friends and who's not because i'll be honest like you know when i uh had my first kid I kind of you know I think with the internet it's a little harder to like fully retreat like it's not Mm -hmm. like it was back then like Mike was not in the same city as these guys you know and even during Judge I remember he'd said like he would retreat back to Jersey like everything was going on in New York all those guys were in New York when Judge wasn't on tour he was at the you know in in Jersey but I know that like, you know, when I had my first kid now, like almost 15 years ago, your life changes and you sort of like you're not maybe going to three shows a week or whatever. And uh, you do you find out kind of who's your real friends and who keeps in touch with you and who's just kind of like, well, you're you know, because there is the, on the flip side of that family. There's also that weird mentality of hardcore people where it's like you're either in or you're just washed up and out yeah not at every show and um i think that uh it's a testament then to those who stick by you and who are still your friend even if you're not going to every show you gotta i mean for me i was the first one of people i knew basically to have a kid so it's kind of like everybody like everybody else was you know i sort of yeah same feel like in a little way not on the level, I'm not comparing myself to Mike, but I could kind of identify with like what it's like to be kind of on the outskirts and getting, getting your information secondhand, mm-hmm. like, Hey, this is what so-and-so is up to. So-and-so says hi or whatever. Um, so yeah, I thought that, but I thought that was cool that the, the real ones, you know, way they say real ones, no. So yeah. the people that were actually important in his life were able to pick up like, like nothing.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been a great, another great episode. We've been so lucky to have, you know, some amazing guests with us. Um, Jason, Yo. tell us what we are scheduled to have next episode.
1: Next episode, we are scheduled to have Orange Nine Millimeter, self-titled, twelve-inch, mm-hmm. Revelation Records number thirty-one. Wikipedia says Revelation Records number 29. But it's
2: not. It's but true. it's not. Hey, that is driver was... included on that?
0: On what no, it's not. Get it? Yeah, it is on it. That EP. This is it uh, is. But I got your joke. This is one of the things that was maddening to me when I was compiling my Revelation Records discography. And and immediately I knew upon looking at Wikipedia that I had to do something and you know using that and then cross-referencing it with Kevin Finn's classic rev text (gasps) um (laughs) uh um document um and but then even that is incomplete because it doesn't list anything that was on compact disc so uh I really had to put in a lot of work to that and so whoever the fuck built that Wikipedia (laughs) Fuck you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I've had people ask like, Oh, someone was like, are you guys doing break down the wall? It has like break down the walls. The 97 version has like its own catalog number, according to Wikipedia. And I was like, no, we already did break down the walls. Like there's not another break down the walls. And then like CIV, it lists like those singles as like their own numbers. So it'll be like three episodes in a row of Civ. It's like, no, nah, that's that's not how that's going down. Yeah. Um, they, they were like half releases or something. But yeah, I appreciate that, Hav. And, and honestly, when when scheduling these, I reference that email. I yeah. I pull up the email that I subscribe to. because uh, you can go on our website, uh, the one we talked about where it went podcast.com for patrons. You can also put your email on the bottom and just get a free um, you know, an email uh, with the discography as we do it. I've, I've had to, I've had
0: to re- reference that many times
2: as well. Yeah. And yeah, the way same. I look at it is like, even if somehow that's in, and if someone's like, well, my copy of this says this, this is at least a way for you to see how
0: we're doing our episodes. Cause yeah. we're going off this list. Yeah. So and hit it cool. up. All right. Well, we will see you next time. We'll see you later. Unless we see you next time. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Peace. Bye. Bye. Stop it. with that. God. That's, great. That's great shit.
1: <laughs> Bye.
0: <laughs>
1: Creepy as shit. It
0: is. All um, right, guys, I'm going to make some lunch. Have one yet. thing I wanted to say real quick. What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons. Billy Tennell, Brandon Gavell, Bram Hubble, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, G. Jason Head, Greg Jackson, Jeremy Holohan, John Cowell, Quiet Keith, Logan Weasel, Nate of Head to Wall fame, Rob Moran, Tim Shear, Siren Records, and Dollar Slice Bootlegs. Please check us out on www.whereitwentpodcast.com, and you'll find all sorts of cool stuff there, but especially information about how you can help us out on Patreon. So, I guess I'll see you next time. Bidipo.